Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I do thank You that when I was lost in darkness, when I was indifferent to the cross, helplessly running my hell-bound race, You brought me out of darkness into your marvelous light. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You saved me. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the Lord's Day. Thank you for the church. Thank you for song. Thank you for your word. Thank you for rain and sunshine. Thank you for large crowds and small. Thank you for sustenance and want. Thank you for our senses, Father, our senses of taste and touch and hearing, speech, smell. Thank you for our families, Father. Thank you for our strangers. And as we spend time, extra time this week with family and strangers, we pray that you'd make us witnesses to your glory as we encounter them, that you give us boldness in proclaiming your word, that we would speak in such a way that would display your glory in every word, every action. Father, we recognize that we live in a sick, lost, dying world. And as we proclaim your word to the nations, we give a cup of cold water to those that are thirsty. We feed mouths to those that are hungry around the world, Father. May your Spirit use us, go before us, do your work within us, and save souls. And Father, that's our prayer even today, as we open your word, that you would save souls, that you would change our lives. You would mold us and shape us into what you want us to be. And our promise to you is that we'll give you all the praise and the glory. Open the mouth of our pastor as he delivers the message you've given him for us today and open our hearts to receive it for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you, if you would, to turn with me to John chapter 10. We turn our attention back to uh, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10 this morning. 
We began this text last week, and um, we will do just a brief, uh, a brief catch-up and review to help out those of you who weren't able to be here last week and uh, pick up where we left off and see what God has for us this morning. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. John records Jesus' words. He's speaking. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a rich and beautiful text that we have before us this morning. Um, John, as you well know, has been presenting Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And he's been presenting him as such for a purpose. And the purpose is that those who would hear in his day and those who would read of it in our day would be drawn to Jesus Christ, that we would believe that he is the Son of God, and believing we would place our faith in him and be saved. That's John's purpose. He's told us that. And we repeated that to you week after week here. And the text that we have this morning is an account from Jesus' life that, that just... It opens up our eyes to this picture of who Jesus really is in relation to his people. And it opens up our eyes really in a very vivid sort of a way to the whole scope of what salvation looks like. And he uses an illustration that would have been so common in his day, not quite as common in our day in modern America, but common in his day and easy to understand in any day uh, to help explain these things. If you haven't been trekking along with this, uh, Jesus has this conversation and he does this, this speech, if you will, right on the heels of a miracle that took place where he healed a blind man, a man born um, uh, blind, who he miraculously heals. Um, the, this, this conflict ensues after that with the religious leaders, um, the false leaders of the day who, who pretended to speak for God, but in reality spoke only for themselves, who pretended to be leading uh, God's sheep to pasture, but really were really just doing nothing other than exploiting the sheep for their own purposes. And they refused to recognize Jesus as the Son of God. They refused. No matter how much evidence they saw, they refused. And in this case, it was irrefutable evidence. A man born blind from birth. Who could do that? Who could open the eyes of someone born blind other than the Messiah, other than God himself in human flesh. Who could do such a thing? And faced with such irrefutable uh, evidence of the identity of Christ, they still reject him. They just absolutely refuse to receive him, to admit who he is. And instead interrogate this poor man, throw him out of the synagogue. And Jesus uses this whole, this whole event to, to, to then go on to describe to those who would listen who he really is. And what that event said about the people who were pretending to lead them. 
The goal being that the people who listened might hear and believe what the religious leaders refused to believe. And so Jesus uses this illustration of a shepherd and his sheep. And it was so common in his day, the, the hillsides were filled with shepherds leading their flocks of sheep. And he uses particularly the, the, the event of what goes on at nighttime and in the morning with a shepherd and his sheep. And he's going to use two illustrations for us. I went over this last week, but it's so critical to understanding the text. I need to go over it again. I'll try and do it quickly um, so as to not have you tune out who were here last week. Okay, um, so don't tune out. I'm watching. Um, he uses the first illustration, which would have been common, of shepherds and sheep near a village. There were all sorts of shepherds with their flocks of sheep. They would lead them out to pasture during the day. They would bring them back into a pen of some sort at night. If they were near a village, they would use what were uh, called communal sorts of pens. Uh, communal pens where lots of shepherds brought their flocks, dropped the flocks off, led them into the pen, left them there, uh, mingled in with sheep from other flocks, and there was someone hired to, to protect them and keep them safe overnight. Make sense? The shepherds would go home or wherever they went, get some rest, come back in the next morning. They would get their flock out of the communal pen, take them back out to pasture, and this was the daily routine. Um, very normal in the day near villages. If, by chance, you were a shepherd and you had your flock and you were away from the village, away from larger populated areas, and you were by yourself, you didn't have time to get back by nightfall to the communal pen, you would find a makeshift pen out in the, in the countryside somewhere, some sort of a natural formation, some sort of a natural rock formation or a cave of some sort uh, where you could herd your, your sheep and they would, they would stay there and be protected at least to some degree from the elements at night, uh, from uh, 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 animals that would seek to kill them, eat them during the night, and to keep them somewhat safe from people who would uh, be criminals who would be intending to, to steal them. Easy enough. So you'd find some place to do that, to corral them. And typically you'd find a, a cave, a rock formation that had only one way in and one way out, right? Those of you who are parents, you understand this, right? You take your kids somewhere, you're looking for the place where there's only one way in and one way out, right? Because at least you can keep your eye on that one spot and, you know, they can't go far. I remember we went um, several years ago to one of the uh, amusement parks somewhere and there was this playground area, you know, where the kids could climb up and ropes and go everywhere. And our, our son was going nuts in there. It was like an amusement park that had rides that we paid a lot for tickets for. He could have cared less for the rides. He just wanted to play on the playground. Um, but this playground had places where they could go and disappear. And there were like three entrances and exits. And that would freak a parent out, right? You can't see your kid. Has he gone out one of the exits? You don't know. Okay, so a shepherd was smarter than we were as parents, and apparently the designers of that amusement park. He would find a place where there was only one entrance, and that was where he would corral those, those sheep. And he would himself lay across the entrance and sleep at night so that anyone who would intend harm would have to come across his sleeping body. Or any sheep to escape would have to crawl across him as well and alert him. You understand the picture. So these are the two pictures that we're going to run across in our text. The first uh, that Jesus uses is that first scenario where there's a communal pen and the shepherds bring their sheep and mingle them together and then call them back out in the morning. In the first part of our text, that's the illustration, that's the backdrop that Jesus is using. And of course, behind all of this is the Old Testament, where, where this illustration of shepherds and sheep were used of God's people and the religious leaders of decades, generations before, uh, the religious leaders who were supposed to be shepherding God's sheep, but instead were doing the same things the religious leaders were doing in Jesus' day, and that is exploiting the sheep for their own benefit. And so back in Ezekiel chapter 34, Isaiah chapter 56, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, 
somewhere, um, that illustration pops up where God just chastises the religious leaders. And he says, you're shepherds, you're supposed to be shepherding my flock, and yet you've, you've absolutely uh, uh, failed at your job. Um, you're abusing the sheep instead of caring for them, and so my judgment is coming on you. And in Ezekiel 34, in a very specific sort of a way, he says prophetically to Israel and to these shepherds, there's a day coming when I'm going to myself come and shepherd my sheep. I am going to come. I am going to come and I am going to gather my sheep and I'm going to care for them properly the way that they should have been cared for by you all along. And it was a prophecy of a shepherd, a great shepherd who would come in the line of David, who would be that shepherd, that God in flesh, who would do exactly what God promised to do, gather in his sheep and care for them the way they ought to be cared for. And as we walk our way through John chapter 10, we're going to see Jesus, by using this shepherd and sheep illustration, he is going to clearly, clearly identify himself as whom? As that great shepherd, promised back in Ezekiel 34 by God himself. He's going to say, I am the good shepherd. I am that great shepherd. I am the God who has come to shepherd his people because the under shepherds that we've appointed or that I've appointed have utterly failed. And he does so to both identify himself as the Messiah, the true shepherd of God's people, and also to contrast himself with the people who were posing as religious leaders who were nothing but frauds. And so that's the backdrop that's, that, that is important for us to understand this text. And so the way we've outlined this is we've outlined it by giving us some characteristics of who Jesus is, because that's what John's doing. He's showing us Jesus. That's what Jesus is doing to the crowd that day, showing himself. So what are we learning about Jesus in this text? What, what do we find out here about him? We saw two things last week at the very beginning of this text. We saw that, first of all, he, Jesus is the true shepherd. We saw in the first few verses he's the true shepherd. Uh, that first part where he says, he who doesn't enter the, sh- uh, excuse me, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door uh, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And it's a real simple illustration. The shepherd who put his sheep up at night and who let him out at morning, when he came to get him, he walked in the front door, went to the gatekeeper, said, it's time for me to get my sheep. The gatekeeper said, sure, that's, I know you, I recognize you, go get your sheep and take him out. Shepherd had no reason to go in any other way but by the front door. If somebody feels the need to climb over a wall and sneak into the pen, what does that say about that person? They're not the legitimate shepherd, right? There's somebody who's coming with bad integrity and bad intentions, right? And Jesus uses this illustration to contrast himself with the people who are posing as the shepherds of God's people. These religious leaders who just threw this poor, now able to see, formerly blind man out of the synagogue. He's saying, they're the thieves. They're the robbers. I'm the true shepherd. What I do, I do in the daylight. I, I live by honesty and truth out in the open. I don't have to sneak. I don't have to hide. I don't have to subvert. I don't have to twist the truth to try and make my point like they do. Because I'm the true shepherd. I'm the true shepherd of Israel, God's people. We saw that last week. The second thing we saw was in the second part of, of, uh, of verse 3. That, that Jesus is not only the true shepherd, but he's the shepherd who cares for his sheep. He cares deeply about his sheep. He's not an aloof shepherd. He's not a distant shepherd. He's not a shepherd to whom his flock is just a bunch of of nameless, faceless numbers that are expendable. No, he's a shepherd who, who cares for his sheep. And we know this because Jesus says that the shepherd, uh, the, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. 
This is a shepherd who's in tune with his sheep. He knows them intimately. He's with them all the time. He knows every detail about their lives to the point where he knows their name and he cares for their very specific needs every day. It's a shepherd who knows and loves and cares for his sheep. He has an intimate and close personal relationship with them. Jesus is saying that's who he is. I'm a shepherd who cares for my sheep, he's saying. These false, these people who pose as your shepherds, they couldn't care less about you. Did, did those religious leaders care anything about that blind man who was healed? They cared nothing about that man. If they cared anything about him, they would have done nothing but celebrate that this man who was formerly blind could now see. Right? They would have thrown a party. They would have had a, a town celebration at the miracle that this man had experienced and the joy of his life that he could open his eyes and see his family and see the world around him. They would have celebrated that if they cared about him, right? But they didn't care about him. They abused him and threw him out of the synagogue is what they did. Evidence that they cared nothing about him at all. They only cared about themselves. Only cared about themselves and their power and their position but Jesus says, I'm not like that. I'm a shepherd who cares for my sheep. I know them by name. I've numbered them. Every day I care for them and inspect them and I care for every specific need of their life. I know them by name. If you're a sheep that belongs to his flock today, he knows you. He cares about you. We saw that last week. And we pick up there with verse uh, second part of verse 3 and verse 4 where we see a third characteristic. Not only is he the true shepherd and a shepherd who cares for his sheep, but he's the shepherd who calls his sheep. That's something else we see in the text in verses, uh, second part of verse 3 and then verse 4. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. And the sheep follow him. Why do they follow him? Well, they know his voice. See here, when I ask you a question, if you answer me a little bit, I know you're still awake on a rainy, stormy day. It helps me. It helps me. Trust me. So humor me. <laughs> they know his name. Okay, so you get this. He's a, sh- he's a shepherd who calls his sheep. So this would have made perfect sense to the people who listened to it. They would have known this picture. The shepherd comes in the morning. He goes up to the communal pen. And whatever the unique way he has for calling his sheep, he calls them. And what do you think happens? There's, imagine, big flock of sheep. You know, all these sheep from all different flocks. One shepherd walks in. He calls his sheep. Imagine the scene. What happens? Yeah, you can hear him say, I, I'm not even going to try to pretend to know what a shepherd sounded like when he called, but he, hey, sheep, I don't know what he did. But whatever he did, you know, his sheep would know. He would, he's not just calling any sheep, he's calling his sheep. And his sheep, when they hear his voice, will do what? They'll pick up their heads and they'll turn and they'll look to him, right? They'll look to him. And ultimately, they'll exit the pen and follow where he leads. But they only do that because he calls. He is a shepherd who calls his sheep. The shepherd would call his sheep by name, it says here. So it's a very specific way that he calls him, in a very personal sort of a way he calls him. It's not even a general call. It's a very specific call. He calls them by name, right? He calls them specifically by name. And when they hear his voice and hear their name, they do what? They come, they come, they follow. Now, the other sheep that don't belong to him, what do you think they do when he calls? They go about their sheep business, whatever that is. They eat, they roam around. I don't know what they do, but they don't do anything. Okay, so this illustration makes perfect sense even if you're not a shepherd. Once again, children, this works, right? You know this scene. You know this scene. Imagine it. 
You're at some birthday party for kids. And all the moms are gathered around. 20, 30 kids running around. Have you been in that environment before? I mean, it's chaos. It's romper room. They're bouncing off walls and windows and everything else, right? It's loud and noisy. And the, you just imagine the mom's over here talking and the kids, and there's noise. And all of a sudden, you hear some kid in the midst of all that noise, ah, you know, or, or scream or cry or something. What happens? There's one mom over there that automatically goes and looks. And the rest of the moms do what? Well, they just keep on doing whatever moms do. I'm not going to go there. But that mom knows her kid, right? And when, when that kid screams in the middle of all the chaos, she hears him. And she looks towards him or her, right? And it works the other way around, right? With parents and kids. The kids are all over the place. And dad walks into the room and he says, you know, whatever it is he says. And Johnny instantly knows his dad's voice. And he turns and the rest of the kids keep playing. You understand this. This is the same illustration of the shepherd and the sheep. Jesus is a shepherd who calls, who calls his sheep. He calls his sheep. His sheep don't respond to other people. They respond to him. And when he calls, they do respond. When he calls, they hear and they recognize his voice and they lift up their heads and they look to him. This is one of the, this is, this is one of the ways you know which sheep belong to him, right? I mean, imagine just being an observer watching this play out in the morning in the communal pen. The shepherd walks in. How do you know which ones are his sheep? You don't know when you look at the, at the pen and all the sheep grazing around. You only know when he calls and they do what? They pick up their head and look. You go, oh, well, that one goes with him. He knows their name. He calls them by name. They hear and they recognize his voice. This is more than about sheep and shepherds, isn't it? This is about eternal salvation that Jesus is trying to explain to those people. It's not really about sheep. It's about people. And Jesus is saying, I have people. I'm a shepherd. I'm a good shepherd, a great shepherd. And I have my people. And they're out there in the, the pen, if you will, of the world mixed in. But I know who they are. And I go after them and I call them by name. And when I call their name, what happens? They recognize my voice. They lift up their eyes toward me and they listen. He's a shepherd who calls his sheep. For generations, since the day he walked on the earth and spoke those words in John's hearing, he has been Jesus, the great shepherd, has been calling his sheep. He's been calling them generation after generation from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. He's been calling his sheep and his sheep hear his voice and they recognize it. And they respond. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Luke is recording for us what happened uh, to a man named Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew, also went by the name Levi. After this, he went out, this is Jesus, and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a booth. And what does Jesus do? What does the great shepherd do? He calls him. He says to him, what? Simply, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. The shepherd called his sheep. The sheep heard his voice and recognized it. You see it? Luke chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, specifically to a man, he calls him by name, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. 
For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. The shepherd walked by and and there was one of his sheep and he calls him by name. And he calls that sheep by name and that sheep lifts his head and he listens and he hears and he recognizes. And he follows. Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter and Andrew, his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And what does he do? He calls them and he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And what happens? Immediately they left their nets and they followed. They heard and they recognized his voice and they knew that he was calling them. And they responded. That's how it's always been. That's how it is today. The great shepherd goes about the world calling his sheep out of the crowded pen of this world. His sheep hear him and they recognize his voice. If you're a Christian... And you're here this morning. You've come to that life where you, that, that point in your life where you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's the reality of you for you this morning, if that's true of you, it is because at some point the great shepherd called you to himself. Right? If you're a Christian here, you can probably remember that season in your life. Prior to that, you were just going about your normal everyday life. You were just doing whatever it is that you did up to that point. But all of a sudden, one day, At one point, something happened, and the great shepherd called you. He spoke to you. Now, it probably wasn't any sort of an audible voice, but you knew he was calling you, right? Maybe it came through a sermon where you were sitting maybe in a crowd like this, and and, and, and the, the pastor is preaching, but in your heart, inside of you, you heard and you felt and you sensed the Lord Jesus Christ calling your name calling you to follow after him, right? He called you and you knew it. You sensed it. You felt it. In your heart, you knew. You knew his voice. You recognized it and you believed he was calling you. Maybe it was through a friend who casually through some encounter sat down with you and shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as that friend talked about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it means to be a Christian, in the midst of that conversation, the friend is talking, but inside your heart, you knew Jesus was calling. He was calling you. And you felt absolutely compelled to respond to your great shepherd. You wanted to follow him. Is that true? Is that true of you? If you're a Christian, those of you who are Christians, at some point in your life that happened to you. He called you. And you were going about your busy life doing whatever it is that you normally do, and you heard his voice, and that voice was calling you. It wasn't just calling in general. He was calling you by name. He was calling you. He was saying, Greg, I got you. Come follow me. He was saying, Frank, come follow me. Come follow me. And you knew it. Because that's how the great shepherd works. He calls his sheep. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul's writing, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, speaking of God's eternal calling on him, and who also did what? Called me by his grace. You see, Paul looks back over the whole scope of his life, and even before he was born, and he says, you know what I recognized before I was even Paul, before I was even Saul, before I was even born, God had set me apart for something. But it wasn't until a certain point in my life Actually, in Paul's life, kind of late on, where that Savior who had set him apart before he was even born called him. It happened on the road to Damascus. We studied that in the book of Acts, and I know you all remember that, right? 
and called Paul by name. He did. He said, Saul, right? After he slammed him on the, the road and blinded him, called him by name. But Paul heard. And Paul listened. And, you know, that's still how it works today. Still how it works. Still, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going out. In multitudes of ways. It's going out in sermons on Sunday. It's going out through voices of people like you who share it with your neighbors and your friends. It's going out on television. And it's going out on radio. And it's going out all over the place. And through all of those venues, the great shepherd is calling his sheep. And the sheep are still listening. And they're still hearing his voice. And they're still recognizing him. And they're still being drawn to him. It's still, still how it works. You say, well, what does it mean to, to hear the shepherd calling you. Is it something audible? No, I don't think. I, I, I've never heard any audible voice of you. I haven't. It's something that goes on inside. In the deepest part of who you are. Maybe that's the best way of saying it. Somehow on the inside when he calls you, you know his voice. You know it. You recognize it. And you know that what he's saying to you and what you've been told about him is true. You know it. And you're drawn to believe it. And on the inside, you feel compelled. You feel absolutely compelled to follow after him and to submit your life to him. And to wherever he goes from that moment on, you're willing to follow. You feel that on the inside. That's what it means to hear him. And maybe you're here this morning and that's going on in your life. I don't have a clue. No idea. But that's what it's like to hear the shepherd call. And when he calls you, you'll know it. You'll know it. Now, there's an enemy of our souls who will try to convince us there's a thousand reasons why we ought not follow that calling. But the shepherd's still calling his sheep. And his sheep still hear his voice. But he's not just a shepherd who calls. He's a shepherd who also conducts his sheep. That's the next chunk. He's not just one who calls, but he's one who conducts or leads. Listen, he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought all his own out, brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Do you get the idea? The shepherd comes and it's not just that he calls to the sheep pen. He calls them and then he leads them out. And what do all the sheep do? They just follow him. They go after him out to the pasture because they know he's going to lead them where they need to go. He, in a real physical sense, the shepherd is going to lead his sheep to where they can find food and to where they can find water. To have their most basic needs met. They know if they follow him, everything that they need to survive and to thrive will be taken care of. And it's the spiritual analogy that's true. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. He calls his sheep to himself. They hear his voice and respond, and they follow him. The where he leads, they go. Wherever he takes them, they're willing to go, because they understand that even though they don't always see the path ahead of them, they know that if they follow him, he's going to lead them to the place of abundance, to the place of safety, to a place of security, to a place where every need of their life will ultimately be met. Isn't that right? That's what the Word of God tells us. The shepherd leads, he goes before them, and they follow him. It's a picture of salvation, isn't it? If the shepherd calling is a picture of effectual calling, the, the idea that he leads and that his sheep follow him is a picture of conversion and discipleship, isn't it? 
I mean, after all, what does it mean to be a disciple? That word disciple, do you know what that word means? It just means follower, a follower. When Jesus calls people to be his disciples, he's calling people simply to follow him, like a sheep following a shepherd. That's what Jesus is picturing here. What is a disciple? He's one who follows Jesus. And when, when, when we talk about discipleship, we talk about being a disciple, we talk about following Jesus, it really kind of, really kind of in, in, encapsulates two things. It encapsulates that initial decision to follow him, right? The first time we hear his voice and we hear him calling our name, we're drawn to him. We make a commitment to follow him for the rest of our lives. There's that initial decision, initial choice to respond and to follow him. But then beyond that, right, beyond that, There's the daily choice to follow him, isn't there? There's a continual following that takes place in the life of a disciple. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That phrase translated follow me means, would be better translated this, take up his cross and continuously, day after day, follow me. So all that's encapsulated here in this idea that he's a shepherd who calls his sheep and a shepherd who leads them and they follow. To follow Christ is to initially choose to follow him, to commit our lives to him, to become a Christian. And then it's a daily call to follow after him every single day when we wake up in the morning and he calls to us, come, come after me today, follow after me today. I have places to lead you today. I have pastures to take you to today. Follow me. And every day we choose, don't we, right? Today, will I take up my cross and follow after him? It's a beautiful picture of what it means to to walk with Christ. All that's wrapped up in this idea, come follow me. And what was he what, what what is he talking about here? If he's calling sheep out of a pen and he's leading them somewhere, where is he leading? What is he leading them out to and what is he leading them to? Maybe those are questions that are worth asking. Well, in the context of of John chapter 10, uh, it's clear. He's talking about leading people out of dead Judaism, right, into a life of following Christ. That's what he's doing. What about our day? How does it apply to our day? In our day, Jesus is still calling people from, as I said a moment ago, from all sorts of walks of life. And he's calling them out of all sorts of pens, if you will. Today, he's still calling people out of secular humanism, the prevailing religion of our culture. The idea that life is all about us on, on, the, on, on earth, that there's not much beyond here, that there's really no God, that there's really no afterlife, that it's all about living here, and it's all about caring for ourselves, and it's all about living for today and accumulating the best life that we can right here, right now, because that's all there is. And there are lots of people in our world that are trapped in that pen, lots of sheep, if you will, that are stuck there. And the great shepherd is still coming alongside that, and he's still calling people out of that. He's still calling people out of dead cultural Christianity as well. It's also real popular in our culture. Lots of people in American culture have grown up in church but don't know the great shepherd. Lots of people. They've been taught to believe this philosophy or this idea that if you just go to church, you know, and go through the rituals and, you know, kind of do the things, then that's all there is to it. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to follow the great shepherd, to commit your life to him and follow after him wherever he leads in an active personal relationship. And Jesus is still coming up. He's still coming alongside that pen of dead cultural Christianity. And he's calling people out of that. And he's saying, wake up. 
follow me. He's calling people out of all sorts of fake and false religions in the world. He's going up to the pen of Islam and he's calling sheep out of there who come and follow him. He's going up to the, to the pen of, of, of Hinduism and every other false religion in the world. And he's, and, he's, and he's calling sheep. And they hear his voice and they're following him out of that stuff. He's calling people out of alcoholism. He's calling out of people out of self-absorption. He's calling people out of out of absolute uh, uh, compulsive materialism. And he's saying, you know, give it all up, walk away from it and follow me. Get out of that pen and follow me where I'll take you. And you know what he tells us in this text? He says his sheep follow him. And they do. They do. The ones that belong to him, they follow him. Now, maybe they don't instantly, but they do follow him. It's a beautiful thought. Theological term that is attached to that idea is irresistible grace. The shepherd knows his sheep, he calls his sheep, and his sheep follow him. I mean, when you think about it in terms of a shepherd and his sheep, it just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, he goes to the pen, he calls them, they hear him, they follow him. That's so easy. We complicate it when we make it theological, don't we? It's really not much more complicated than that. Still doing the same thing. I know a lot of people struggle with the idea of the doctrine of election, but it permeates this text, the idea that, that, that there are sheep that belong to him and sheep that don't. It's hard to understand one of the most challenging doctrines in all of God's word to make sense of. And I don't intend to spend much time on it, but I think that this illustration Jesus gives helps us with that a little bit. It helps us with that a little bit because we can see three perspectives on election here in this text. We can see that through the eyes of the sheep, we can see it through the eyes of the shepherd, and we can see it through the eyes of the outsiders, the people who are just watching. Look at it this way. Pop that slide up there for me, Josh, if you don't mind. You can put the whole thing up there. If you think in terms of this sheep and shepherd illustration that we've been studying from the, from the perspective of the shepherd, right? The shepherd does what? It's right in front of you. He knows his sheep, right? He knows who they are. You and I don't know, but he knows. Outsiders don't know who his sheep are, but he knows who his sheep are because they're chosen. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation says before the foundation of the world. He knows who they are, and he calls them by name. No one else knows but him. But what about from the eyes of the sheep? How do the sheep know if they belong to him or not? How do they know? Because when he calls, they hear his voice. And what, are they, what happens? They're drawn to follow him. How do I know that I belong to Christ? How do I know that I'm a Christian? I know that because I, I, I knew it when he called my name. And I was drawn, absolutely enamored by who Jesus Christ is. And I wanted more than anything to follow him. To have my sins forgiven. And to follow him with the rest of my life. I knew that. That's how I know. From the perspective of the sheep, that's the only way you know. How would an outsider know who belongs to the shepherd? Who are the elect, if you will? Somebody who's just watching from the outside. How do you know? Come on, don't complicate it, people. You see the shepherd come on. He speaks. The sheep hear. They pick up their heads and they follow him. That's the only way you know, right? How do I know who's a Christian? Well... I talk to people, and, I, and quickly you can figure out, 
Have, has Christ called them? Have they heard his voice and responded to the gospel at some point? Have they chosen to follow after him? If so, they're sheep of his pasture. It's really not that hard. It's just a matter of perspective, isn't it? It gets complicated when we try to pretend like we're the shepherd and we can know. We can't. We shouldn't even try, right? Okay. A little further in this text, let me, let me just jump down a little bit to verse 25 through 27. I cannot see my watch this morning. That's bad for you. Um, okay, there we go. John 10, 25 through 27. Listen, we're not going to do this in depth, but I just want to point it out to you. This is a little further on in this same conversation. The Jews gathered around him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, let's just pause right there. Come on, people. What else does he have to say? I mean, could he be more plain? You know, this is when I'm going, okay, Jesus, my patience would be out at that point. Okay. Jesus answered them. He said, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But get this, you don't believe. Why? Because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow. Why is it that these religious leaders absolutely could not, would not believe what he said? They were not his sheep. That's the explanation Jesus gave. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. It's not the other way around. There it is. So he's a shepherd who calls, and he's a shepherd who conducts his sheep. And let me give you one last thought here. He's the only legitimate shepherd. He's the only legitimate shepherd. We get that in the next portion of this text, beginning around verse 6. Let's pick up there. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, beginning in verse 7, listen to this. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But the thief, he comes only to kill, steal and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Verse 6 is an important point. Part. It's an important Okay, I'll get it on just a minute, I promise. Important point in the text. Verse 6 helps us understand what's coming next. This figure of speech, that is this illustration of the communal pen, which Jesus uses in the first five verses. Jesus used that, but what happened? They didn't, they didn't understand it, okay? They didn't get it. John tells us that so we can understand what's coming next. Because they didn't understand that, Jesus is going to then further explain Okay? He's going to further explain. But in order to further explain, he changes the analogy. He changes the analogy. But he keeps it within this sheep and shepherd sort of a thing going on here. Um, so that's why in verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, okay? So he said, okay, you didn't get that, so let's try this again. Truly, 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 I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. So he changes the illustration. So now we've got the same elements. We've still got sheep, and we've still got shepherd, and we've still got a pen. But... But the meanings are, are, are shifted around, okay? So let me give you this kind of the idea of what's going on in the second illustration, okay? Who's what in the second illustration as compared to the first, okay? That'll make this make a lot more sense if I can just give it to you kind of in an outline form. Okay, so in the second illustration, we still have sheep, right? We're still talking about sheep. We haven't shifted to dogs or anything, right? Still sheep. Okay, who are the sheep before? I just put the whole thing up there, Josh. 
I can tell. It's a rainy day. It's going to be hard to pull it out of them, all right? So here's the symbols. All right, there they are, right there for you. Okay, and in the shifted, in the second part of the illustration here, Jesus has changed. Previously, the sheep were the Israelites. Now, they're God's people. Christians, that's who he's talking about. These are the sheep in this part of the illustration. Previously, the sheepfold was Judaism. He was calling Israelites out of Judaism into faith in him. Now, the sheepfold is the church. Those who will place their faith in him as Lord and Savior. Previously, Jesus was what? He was the shepherd, right? The shepherd who comes and calls and conducts his sheep. Now, he's not the shepherd. He's what? He's the door. He says, I'm the door. The one thing that stays consistent are the robbers and thieves. They're robbers and thieves both places, right? So they wouldn't be confused at least about that point. Still didn't get it. So what is Jesus trying to say in this shifted up illustration, also using sheep and a shepherd? He's simply trying to say to us this. There's only one way in and one way out. And I'm the way. Remember I told you at the beginning that you had this context of the large communal pens, but then you also had the other context of the the more rural areas where the shepherd would pen up his sheep in a cave or something. I got a picture. Pictures help me. Hope they help you. If you were here last week, you saw the picture. It's way back at the beginning, Josh. Sorry about that. Um, This kind of an enclosure. So this is what the illustration is he's using here. Okay. Shepherd takes the sheep inside there. They find a nice spot to sleep for the night. And right across this front entrance here what would happen i told you earlier you can't forget that quick yeah yeah yeah. the shepherd sleeps he was asleep okay and he in a very so when that happens he in a very real sense he's what he's the door he's the gate he's the way into that pen and more than the way in he's also the way out okay so when jesus says to you and to me and to that crowd that day i am the door Sometimes translated, I'm the gate to the sheep. He's not talking about something made out of wood or stone. He's talking about this. And what he's saying is, I'm the only way in and I'm the only way out. Does that make sense? That that image makes sense? Jesus is saying, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the only way, I'm the only way, I am the only way in and the only way out. There is no other way, there is no other way to become a part of his fold other than by him. Jesus said it in another way, in another place, by saying this, John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, do you know this? The truth and the life, what? No one comes to the Father except by me. I'm the only way in. The only way in. In John chapter 10, verse 9, which we just read, whoever enters through me will be saved. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by by, by which we must be saved. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have what? Life. It's a theme that runs all throughout the New Testament. There's one way to be made right with God and to enter into his community and his kingdom, his flock, whatever way you want to say it. That's through the man, Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the only door. He is the only way. He is the only truth and he is the only way to life. That is the illustration he's giving. And Jesus says it very directly. 
all others are thieves and robbers. But I've come that you might have life. There's one way, and there is no other way. That is such a countercultural thought in our, in our day, isn't it? That is not what the average person believes in our city. It's not. The average person in our city tends to believe, you know what, if there is some sort of an afterlife, if there is some sort of a heaven, if there is some sort of a kingdom of God, it's the good people who go there. Right? It's the people who just are good. People who've done more good things than they've done bad things. It doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus or not, or go to church or not, or part of the family of God or not. All that really matters is if you just... Try to be nice and be kind and treat other people you want to, the way you want to be treated. Just be good. Then when it all shakes out at the end, you'll enter. It's not what Jesus said, is it? He said, I'm the door. Not your good works. Your good works are not the door. I'm the door. The only way is through me to be saved. Personal faith in the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only way to eternal life. It is the only way to be made right with God. It is the only way to enter his kingdom. The only way. It's not a popular message these days. Nobody really wants to hear that in a pluralistic society. Nobody really wants to hear that in a society that does nothing but preach tolerance from from birth to the grave. And by tolerance, we mean nobody knows the truth. And nobody has an exclusive way to anything. But it is what the word of God says, and it is what the great shepherd has said. The only way is to enter through Christ, and the only way to enter through him is to enter on his terms. The repentance of your sin, self-denial, and personal commitment of your life to him. You come to him that way, and you come on his terms, or you do not come at all. It's an exclusive gate. It's an exclusive door. And every other doorway is a doorway that leads to destruction. It's that that cut and dry. There is no other way to understand what Jesus says here except that. I am the door. I'm the only way in. You know, the world has always been filled with false prophets, right? Right? As long as there has been the true word of God and the true spokesman for him, there have always also been the false and the fraudulent. Jesus was dealing with that in his day in John chapter 10. We're still dealing with that in our day. There's still all sorts of frauds and false prophets that, that roam around our world, calling sheep, trying to deceive, ultimately only destroying. But Jesus says, I'm the door. If you want to enter eternal life, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, my sheepfold, you'll enter by me. By personal faith in me. You understand that that's the way. That's the way to become a Christian, right? It's really not all that complicated. It's personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the way. It is, it is not just faith in general. It's faith in Jesus. Right? I, I have to specify that. Why do you think? Well, because I run across people sometimes, and you talk to them, and say, oh, I have faith. I have faith. I'm a person of faith. You, you are. Well, what is your faith in? Oh, I just, I'm a person. I have lots of faith. 
Well, loss of faith doesn't do you any good if it's not faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand that getting into the kingdom of God is not about the quantity of faith that you can develop. It's about the object of your faith, right? There are a lot of people in our world who have a lot of faith, a lot of faith in false things. There are a lot of people who will go to the end of their lives having a lot of faith in their good works. It doesn't matter how much quantity-wise faith they have in their good works at the end of the day. The object is a failure and leads only to destruction. There are people who are trapped in all sorts of false religions in our world. And they have lots of faith, quantity-wise. The problem is their faith is in the wrong thing, the wrong object. Jesus says, I'm the way. If you want to enter, it's by personal faith in me. What does that mean? That means coming to the place in your life when you hear his voice calling you. When you look at yourself in relationship to him and you realize that you are a sinner, that you're a sheep who's strayed away, that you violated his, his law and that you know that you've done things that are sinful in his eyes and you want for those sins to be forgiven. You, you come to that place in your life where you, you look to Him and you recognize Him as the Savior of the universe, the one who's died on the cross, who shed His blood for your sin. And you have come to Him on those terms, the terms of His shed blood on your behalf. And you've come to Him by faith saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that You can forgive me. And I believe that if I confess my sin to You, if I turn from the pen that I've been living in all these years, and I follow You, that by Your sacrifice on the cross, You will save my soul. And you will be my Lord and Savior. And and if I follow you, you'll lead me where I need to go. That's what it means to place your faith in Jesus. It's for that transaction to take place in your soul. Does that make sense? He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. No one comes to the Father except by him. You know what he says happens in this text if you'll do that? If you'll do that? Listen to what he says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out. You know what that means? It's a picture of safety. Think shepherd and sheep. Okay? Or think city. Okay? In Jesus' day, if you lived in a city, usually the city had what around it? Walls. Why? Well, it was dangerous out there, right? It protected you. If you were in a place where you could come in and go out anytime you wanted to and you didn't have to worry about walls, that meant you were in a place of what? Safety. If you were in a place where the sheep could come and go out of the pen at will, night or day, that's a place where there's no wolves and there's no coyotes and there's no thieves that are going to come and kill them. It's a place of safety, right? Jesus says, if you follow me, I'm your great shepherd. If you follow me, you'll be saved and I'll take you to a place of safety. He says, if anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out and he'll find pasture. In a land where it was really hard to find a pasture, the illustration here is one of satisfaction and abundance. If you follow me by faith, if you enter through the door, I'll lead you to a place of safety. I'll lead you to a place of security. I'll lead you to a place where you will be satisfied. He says it another way. I'll give you life abundantly. Abundantly. Everything you need and more. If you enter by another gate, you'll be destroyed. It's that cut and dry. It really, really is. It really is. So the only question this morning then is, 
Where do you stand in relationship to the shepherd? Have you heard his voice calling your name? In the depths of your soul, have you heard the Lord Jesus Christ say to you, I've come that you might have life. I gave my very life on the cross where I shed my blood and laid it down, he's going to tell us, for you. To forgive your sin, to wipe the slate clean, to give you a new abundant life. Come, follow me. If that hasn't happened in your life this morning, I pray that in this very moment you sense that going on in your heart. And that by faith, you'll get up and follow him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the great shepherd. And I'm so grateful for that moment in my life many years ago when you called this little wayward sheep by name. You opened my eyes that I could hear you and recognize your voice. That I followed you. I know the road has been imperfect many times along the way since then, and I have not been by any means a perfect follower. I did enter by your gate, and you are my great shepherd. And I'm so grateful for that. Above all things this week of Thanksgiving, I give thanks for that alone and above everything. Every other blessing is a subordinate blessing to that one. And I give thanks for the many sheep that belong to your fold in this room this day. But I suspect there are some who don't. And I pray that in these moments you'd call them by name. And that they would hear your voice. And that they would follow you. Help them to see you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. A shepherd who knows them. A shepherd who loves them and cares for them deeply. A shepherd who desires to provide everything and abundantly more than they could ever hope and imagine for them in their life. A shepherd who is willing to be a constant companion and ever-present help in times of need. May I be drawn to you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.